Welcome to the Gathering Church. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Robbie Denson. I'm the executive pastor of the Gathering, and it's a great. I'm excited to have the opportunity to share with you this morning. Uh, that bumper video was the the music was written by one of our Dream Team members. It was uh, filmed by one of our Dream Team members, edited by one of our Dream Team members, and I love to see that kind of stuff happen. Uh, I realized, though, watching it just now, that there's a clip of three grown men. Um, on the sliding rock, sliding down, and that would be myself. Uh, and since, you know, I get to be on stage, and you, you may know me, the other man, if you were wondering, uh, one of them's here right now. His name is Matt Von Arch. He's sitting about right there. Uh, and then Macaulay is in that as well. And I don't, at the, at the time, we were like, let's hold hands. <laughs> but watching it play back, it just feels different. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, well. It should be good. There's another video in that video of me playing football at Folly Beach with our students. And just so you know, I was gardening. A, a, no, a 16-year-old was gardening. I'm 30, and I officially feel it. And uh, this 16-year-old was gardening me, and he was a football player. And just so everyone knows, broke his ankles. He's still walking with a limp. I mean, not literally. I think someone actually thought his ankles are broken. I'm just saying, other people watching went, oh, because his ankles got broke. I'm just saying. I talked trash to him at Chick-fil-A later that day. I don't care if he's 16. I needed that. I'm at a place in my life where I needed that more than he did. He's got time. Hey, we want to ask that you do something different this morning. Uh, We are always trying to figure out how we can do stuff better. We want to know how we can make this facility better for you. We want to know how we can make an environment that meets the needs of this city better. We want to know how we can help you reach your your friends better. So we're always asking weird questions of ourselves. And so we thought this week, well, let's ask a question of the congregation. Let's ask a question of you. And so we want you to do something for us. And I want you to do it right now. Go ahead and pull out your phones right now. I'm going to tell a bad joke to start this sermon anyway. And so just pull out your phone. We're going to ask you to take a survey. And if you don't do it now, you're just not going to do it because we see the percentage of people that open our emails and more of you need to open our emails, just so you know. So you're not going to do it later. I think we can even track how long our emails are open, right? And some of you are like, oh no, oh no, We, we can track you. Okay, no, but so what I'm saying is do it now. You're not going to do it later. On the screen behind me, there's a website, gatherashville.org slash survey. There's two questions on this survey. The questions may seem odd to you. We think it's going to help us make decisions for the future. Well, the first question is, what zip code do you live in? And these are all anonymous. We're not going to know who submits what. What zip code do you live in? And the second question is simple. Would you be willing to invite a friend to join you at the gathering? That's all we want to know. It's the easiest survey that you'll ever fill out. Uh, if you do that, we have a prize for you. Uh, we'll give it to you next week. All that gets, we, we're not going to give you a prize. Hey, last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Summer at the Gathering. Pastor John Mark did a, a message called Followers Fish. 
If you missed last week, I would recommend going back and checking that out. You can go to our website, gatherashville.org, click on the videos and, and check that message out. Today is a follow-up to that, but really, this series, uh, this, this year, we have done some really cool series. And so if you've never been to the website, if you've missed a few weeks, or if you're just now joining us, go to our website, check it out. I and mean, we got some, we've, we've talked about some really cool things this year. Well, Pastor John Mark started out with a few fishing stories. And if you know anything about John Mark, and I apologize if this is your uh, first time with us, you can get the sense, even in announcements, that if there's an opportunity for a joke, he's just going to try it out. Uh, But here's the thing about John Mark. When he starts in on a story, you just have no idea where it's going to end. I mean, right? Like last week, he was talking about fishing. He very well could have ended on whether or not we landed on the moon. I just, you just, the guy just, just will start a story and you just don't know where it's going. Well, I was actually a part of John Mark's life when he was younger and, and, and he was a part of mine. Uh, I, I was friends with a lot of guys because they all, they all were friends with my sister. She was the cool one and I tagged along, took advantage of it. So I've known John Mark since I was in the ninth grade and he was not lying when he said he had every Guy Harvey shirt there is with a different fish jumping on it. And so Basically, what John Mark was saying last week in his fishing stories is that he's a fisherman. He's a fisherman, and I I would agree. And in fact, he basically referenced himself as a fisherman. And if you know anything about fishermen, then you know that almost 85% of what they say is just not true, right? And so I'm just, here's what I'm not saying that he was lying last week. I'm just saying he was a fisherman, all right? You just take it for what it's worth. Worth. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, well, I got my own fishing stories. And so I'm going to tell me some fishing stories. And guess what? I'm not a fisherman. So whatever I say, you can take it to the bank. It's just true. I wouldn't lie to you. In fact, uh, I went fishing just a few weeks ago uh, with my family. We went on vacation to Myrtle Beach, aka the Dirty Myrtle. And we had a blast. Uh, one of the staff was like, you shouldn't call it the Dirty Myrtle. And I was like, people from Myrtle Beach call it the Dirty Myrtle. I got it from them. And so what it looks like when my family goes on vacation is 18 people in one house. And so what we discovered a couple weeks ago is that my family loves each other for five days. It was a seven-day vacation. (laughs) Other than that, I could take them or leave them. And just at that point, you're like, I'm kind of annoyed by your kid. (laughs) Can you get get him away (laughs) from me? (laughs) Well, while we were there, I brought up the idea that the men go on a fishing charter And I thought, you know, what better way to spend a day than four hours out on a boat with me, uh, my two brothers, uh, my father, and then my brother-in-law, all five of us. We never get the chance to hang out. We live in different areas. And so let's go hang out for four hours and just reel in some fish. And so sure enough, we head out to catch some fish. And about three hours in, I start to think, man, we're not really catching any fish. And in fact, we had one fish in the boat that my brother didn't even know was on his line when he was reeling it back in to recast. There was just a flounder there at the end of his line. And so he tried to act like he knew it was there, but we all knew it wasn't. The most exciting part was watching our captain cast the net to catch what seemed to be 150 bait fish. We were thrilled by that because I don't go fishing very often. And here's the thing about fishing charters. They're going to cost $500 whether you catch 25 fish or whether you catch one fish. 
And that's a fact, and you need to know that going into it. In fact, I, when I called the day before, I talked to the captain, and, and I said, hey, just, is there like a, like a fish guarantee? And he laughed at me. And he was like, man, I don't, I mean, it's the ocean, man. It's the ocean. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll call you later. <laughs> well, we pulled back into the dock, and, and we had one fish, and the five of us reach into our pockets to pull out our portion of the payment. And let me tell you what, when you pull out 100 bucks to give some guy that took you on a boat ride and you caught no fish, it's a weird feeling. And so when I gave over my money, I, I made sure to look at Captain right in the eyes. And what I was telling him with my eyes, because I'm not brave enough to say it with my mouth, what I was saying was, you really stink at your job right? And he looked right at back at me as he took my hundred and he just said with his eyes, yeah, but I just got $500. And I was like, oh man, you just made $125 an hour. You're, good. You're doing something right. He won that battle. Last week, that's, that's how all my fishing stories go, just so you know. There's no really fish involved. Actually, we gave him the one fish that we caught. So... Yeah, he really won that battle. I just realized that. Last week, you don't take one fish back to 18 people. It just, it goes bad. Last week, Pastor John Mark introduced us to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 18, ending in 19, where it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. One of the great things about Jesus is that he never hides his agenda. When he runs into Peter and Andrew, he is in the beginning phase of developing and choosing his 12 disciples. And these are the men that Jesus will spend roughly three intimate years with, intimate parts of his life, moments of weakness. And in his opening conversation with these two men, he very clearly states to them what he wants to do with them. He wants to make them fishers of men. In other words, Jesus wanted to show them that they were created for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring Jesus to people. And he doesn't mince words. He makes it clear to them before they ever start following that they have a high calling on their life. How many of us know that? That when we said yes to Jesus, we were simultaneously given, we were transferred onto us a high calling for our life to make fishers, to become fishers of men. And I love what it says in verse 19. It says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Immediately. And so last week, Pastor John Mark spoke to the importance of fishing, the importance of using your life to point people to Jesus. Today's message is titled Fish Talk. It's one thing to know the importance of pointing people to Jesus. It's another thing to know how. Because it's compelling, right, to know that you are called to be fishers of men and women in your city, in your workplace. But how do I do that? Because you might be thinking, Pastor Robbie, on behalf of Jesus in the gathering church, I choose not to talk because I'll make Jesus look bad. I'll make the gathering church look bad. If you expect me to be the one speaking on your behalf, then it's not going to end well. And I want to use this morning to convince you that you may be underselling yourself. I want to encourage you to start talking. Talking about Jesus in your faith is easier than you think. And more important, it's probably not what you think. 
The thing you're aiming to share may not be the thing you should be sharing. And that hopefully will come to bring you to relief this morning. Let's look at what it says in 1 Peter, and I can help you see what you should be aiming at. Peter says, and I'm going to read in the message here. It says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. I love what Peter is saying here because he's saying the work is on you. Of course, the work is on your pastors. We get it. But what Peter wants to state clearly is that the high calling has been put on those who have said yes to Jesus. He's putting the work on you. He goes on to say to tell others of the night and day difference that he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Because it's easy to convince ourselves that in order to share Jesus with people, we've got to be able to answer the tough questions, right? I've got to be able to, to, to dig in deep into theology to be able to lead people to Jesus. And here, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to know how Noah got all those animals on that boat, to point people to Jesus, to talk about Jesus. You don't know, have to know how Jonah survived in a fish in order to point people to Jesus. Peter is not asking you to defend God. He's asking you to share the night and day difference that he made for you. And that has nothing to do with Jonah. That has nothing to do with Noah. And so what I want to do this morning is give you what I believe is a good framework for what to say to people when you feel compelled to share Jesus with them. Hopefully these things can help you to see that you can share your faith and that, that the people in your sphere of influence need you to share your faith with them. The first thing that you're going to do when talking to people, and if you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing that you want to do is you want to share the hope you have. Share the hope you have. This is one of those things that is simple to do, but the fear of what happens next keeps us from doing it. Yeah, Robbie, I, I understand you've had a life-changing moment, but that's great, but I struggle with what the Bible says. I struggle to believe. It seems too crazy to be true, and I just want to remind you, sharing your story and the hope you have does not include defending God. I have a buddy in Charleston, one of my best friends to this day. You know those friends that you can go without talking for six months or a year, but the moment you connect, you pick right back up where you left off? Well, I have, I have several buddies like that in Charleston, and one of them, he and I are, are great friends, and he was a follower of Christ in high school, but then he started to dig in, and he just struggles with what the Bible says, and he's an atheist now. And I share my faith with him, and he knows that, and he struggles with what the Bible says, and, and I allow him to, I struggle with some of what the Bible says. He can struggle with what the Bible says, but he can't struggle with my lived experience, right? He can't deny me my story. And here's the great thing. If you begin to share your story with the people you are closest with, here's the great thing about my buddy, Anthony. He would not deny that he has seen God work in my life. He just can't wrap his brain around. He will tell you that he has seen that my walk with God has greatly benefited my life. He still struggles to reconcile the Bible and how it applies to his life and how it can be true. 
But it's not my job to defend God. It's my job to share my story with him and see what God can do because of that. Because I can't put his salvation on me. I've got to put it on God. That's all I can do is share my story of hope with him. I don't have to defend God. I've just got to share my story. First Peter, he writes in chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he says it this way. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That means to put Christ on the throne in your life. Put him in a place of reverence. Take a second. It's, it's hard for me to put Jesus at a place of reverence in other people's life if he's not in a place of reverence in my life, right? And so we've got to begin to put Jesus in that place of reverence. Maybe it's time to take fear out of that place of reverence because sometimes we put the negative things in life as the most important things in life. Maybe it's time to take a relationship out of that place of reverence and put Jesus back up there because the people around you need, him, need you to. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That word answer in the Greek actually means defense. And what Peter's not saying is defend God. He's saying defend why you chose to follow Jesus with your life. Peter acknowledges that we don't have all the answers, but what I can answer is why I chose to follow Jesus. And this is key. I love this. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. <laughs> See, the goal in communicating your faith, and this may be where some perspective has to be shifted on your end. The goal in communicating your faith is never to win an argument. And here in Asheville, that's oftentimes what we find ourselves doing. But the goal in communicating your faith has nothing to do with winning an argument. It has everything to do with winning a heart. And so when you communicate your faith to people, communicate that you care about their heart. When you keep the conversation focused on the heart of the individual in front of you, they can't leave from that conversation slandering you. They can leave disagreeing with you, but what they'll sense is that you care for their soul. What Peter says here uh, reminds me of my very first neighbor here in Asheville. Asheville's not a big city, but it's big enough. I can use his name. Uh, my wife and I moved in to a house just down the street behind B&B Pharmacy. I can say it now because we don't live there anymore. You can just know right where I used to live. And we moved in and we introduced ourselves to Barry and his wife, and there was a couple other roommates. And very early on in that relationship, Barry learned that I was a pastor. And very quickly after that, I learned that he was an atheist. And we were neighbors for over a year, and he knew that I was never going to be afraid to communicate my faith to him. And I knew that he was never going to be afraid to tell me how crazy I was. And he would agree. He would tell you right now that I was crazy, but that's who I am. I cared about his eternity. He would, he would bring life to me, and well, that's all I heard was, Robbie, I need help. And I was thinking, well, I know I can't help you, but I know the one who can, so let me just share with you my story of hope. And he would say, yeah, but that's crazy. Give me something I can use. And I just constantly shared my faith with him. And one night we were hanging out and Barry was twisted because he knew that he and I were just different, like 
people. And so what he did is he would just take me to all the grunge bars in West Asheville because the moment we walked in, I stuck out with like a sore thumb. Like I have a smile on my face most of the time. And there are places here that just smiling is not normal. And so he would just walk in and just like watch me like interact with people. And so we were hanging out at one of these places. I won't say where it was. And we were walking back one night and he looked at me and he said, Robbie, I've never met a Christian that talked to me about Jesus because they care about me. He said, don't get it twisted. You get on my nerves. <laughs> like I don't, uh, this isn't the moment that you've been waiting for, Robbie. But I just, I want you to know that like you, I know that you care about me. And, and, and he said, usually when Christians realize I'm not going to convert, they just throw me to the side, and you've never done that. My neighbor knew that I cared about his heart. And so while he disagreed, he never slandered. While he disagreed, he never spoke negatively about me. He knew I cared for him. And I suspect that he cared for me. You know how I know? Every time we hung out, he offered me weed. Every single time. And that's just, my wife can attest, one time after months of hanging out and months of me being like, nah, man, no, I can't. I'm just not, that's not me. Uh, he said, okay, all right, you're a pastor. I get it. We're on my porch. His wife, Chelsea, me, and he's like, listen, I just want to, last time, if you ever want to try it, just call me. I probably have some on me. And I was like, all right, Barry, I will, you will be the first. If anybody ever gets to see me high, it's going to be you, Okay. So I suspect he cared for me as well. <laughs> I'm just saying. If you're taking notes, let me just uh, give you some basic building blocks to help you share your story of hope. These, we're talking about sharing our hope. Here's three simple ways to share your hope. The first thing is this. Share how you realized you needed Christ. Share how you realized you needed Christ. If you don't know that part of your story, I would take some time to get acquainted with it. Here's why this is so important. It's the recognition of our need for Christ that keeps him in a place of reverence in our lives. Because the moment I forget my need for Christ, and we talked about this a moment, talking about that place of reverence, the moment I forget Jesus's place of reverence in my life, in my need for him, something else replaces that. A part of committing your life to Christ is understanding you need his sacrifice. And my prayer for myself is that I never forget the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. You have to learn how to communicate your need for Jesus. The second thing that you want to say is this. You want to say how you committed your life to Christ. How you committed your life to Christ. Speak to the simplicity, and I, I love this because this is just so practical. Speak to the simplicity of what it looks like to commit your life to Christ. Do me a favor, and I know that not everybody in here is a follower of Christ, but I got a question for those of you who are. Think back to the moment you committed your life to him, just that, that moment in time. Think back to just that moment. Remember how easy it was? It was natural. It was something you desired. I'm not talking about the difficulty since then. I'm not talking about the curveballs that life has thrown at you. I'm talking about that moment when you committed your life 
to Christ. Sometimes when you're pointing people to Jesus, it's helpful for them to know what that moment was like for you because they don't know what that moment should look like for them. They don't know. Help them get acquainted with it by sharing yours. I remember the moment I accepted Christ. I was at a student ministry in Charleston, South Carolina, and I just felt the presence of God. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I just felt God flash my story in front of me. And I was, I was 13 at the time, but the interesting thing is I've always equated, equated my story with my parents' story, and I don't have time to share all of that. But what I saw and what God's done in my parents' life and then in response in my life is that God has pursued me relentlessly. And what I recognized in that moment is that I needed his pursuit of me. And what I learned that night is that his pursuit of me took him to the cross. And he died for me. And I saw my need for Jesus. And that night, I raised my hand. That night, I said, I want to go all in. I will follow you, Jesus, to the ends of the earth. You've got to learn to communicate what it was like for you when you committed your life to Christ. The third thing you want to talk about is this. Talk about the difference it has made in your life. The difference it has made in your life. This is my favorite part of sharing my story. I love this part of my story because this is the part that I'm still living. What you want to do is be open and honest about your life because the truth is there are good seasons and there are difficult seasons. That's just the reality of it. The difference for you, and this is why we've got to learn to share the difficult seasons with the people around me. Being a Christian does not mean being perfect. The world around you does not need you to be perfect. It needs you to be broken so that it can see the hope you have in Christ because the difference for you and the people around you who do not yet know Jesus is that in a season of difficulty, you have a high amount of hope in what Jesus can do in and through you. I call this a perspective change. I, I, I wrestled in high school, seventh grade through 10th grade, and then I started pursuing ministry, and there's, I just wanted to go all in on that. But one of the things that our coaches would teach us in wrestling is a single leg or a double leg. And, and in order to, to, to take a shot, you've got to be able to see their legs. And oftentimes when you're just in your stance, they're in theirs, and they've got a lot of defense mechanisms. They can sprawl or they can, they can uh, cram you down with their hands. And what we learned is that in order to get a clear view of their legs, you've got to do what's called called a level change. And I love this analogy because so many of us in seasons of difficulty, because of the hope we have in Christ, we have the opportunity, opportunity to do a level change. Why? So we can see things differently. So we can see things with more clarity. So we can see the path to a brighter future. So that we can see the silver lining. So that we can see that God is at work in us just because we can do a level change and have a perspective change and see things more clearly. We use the difference God has made in our lives to show people the hope that we now have in Christ. It must have been <clears throat> seven years ago, I got a phone call from one of my parents' friends, which is kind of a, a weird thing, like when, you're, when your dad's friend calls you, <clears throat> you don't know what's going to happen next. And I got a call from one of my dad's friends named Steve, and he had a di he had been given a diagnosis that he only had a few weeks to live, and he wanted to meet with me. And I grew up with Steve, probably 25 years. I'm 30. I've, I've known Steve since I was five. 
And I knew him well, and <clears throat> I knew a good bit of his story. He had been in recovery with my parents for over 25 years. I grew up going to his house, staying the night at his house back when it was like okay for like seven-year-old boy and seven-year-old girl to stay the night with each other. I don't think we can do that anymore, but we were just like our family. We were just such good friends with Steve and Jill, and I, I went to go meet with Steve, and I walked in, and Jill was there, and she looked like she had just heard that her husband is only going to be around for a couple more weeks. And she gave me a hug and she sent me back to the den where Steve was sitting. And I walked, I just, I just, it, some of these memories when, when, when God does stuff, they're just, they're tangible. And I walked down the, the, the few steps into the den and he was sitting in his chair and I sat on the couch and he just looked at me and he was speechless. And so moments like that, what I feel is best is just to do nothing sometimes because I can't relate to what Steve's going through, but he wanted me there, and here I am, and we're sitting there and just looking at each other, and he can't bring himself to words, and he's, tears begin to come to his eyes. He's unable to speak, and it's, and it's almost as if the Holy Spirit is speaking, and, it, and it, I've just felt God saying, Robbie, tell him about me. Tell him about me. Tell him about my love. Tell him about the hope that he has in me. Just tell him. And finally, Steve was able to speak through the tears in his eyes, and he said, Robbie, it just seems like it's not fair for me to live my life the way I did, and now, here at the end, try to turn it all around and give my life over to God. It just doesn't seem fair. We sat for the next few hours talking about life. We talked about his life, and then we talked about my life, and it was clear that our stories were different. But my point is this. My story was different than his, but I shared it with him because my story had the very thing he needed, hope. He needed hope, and it was sitting inside of my story. Steve could feel the presence of God calling him. He just didn't know what to do with it. Sometimes the people, they don't know, people don't know what to do with the presence of God. But clarity comes when we begin to share our stories. Steve committed his life to Jesus that day. And I met with him several times over the last few weeks before he passed away. And, and he was afraid each time. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. He was afraid. His circumstances didn't change, but his perspective did. He now had hope. And to be honest, I never met with Steve and he had hope that healing would come. And I, there's a place for that. But st that was not Steve's hope. Steve, Steve's hope was in his eternity. He just, he, just, he just was like, Robbie, I just feel like a weight has been lifted off of me, not of healing, but of hope for my eternity. I, 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 the only way I can describe it is that every time I met with him, he was afraid, but yet had an awe and wonder of what it was going to be like to meet his Savior. How many people in your life can feel the presence of God but just don't know what to, do with, what to do with it? Could it be that God put you in their life for a reason? I hadn't seen Steve in 10 years, but God had been working a plan. And when the opportunity came for me to share my story, I had to take it. Showing people the hope found in Christ changes lives. Start showing it. Start talking about the hope you have. The second piece of the framework is this. Share my church. 
share my church. Here's why I'm saying this. We have designed our church <clears throat> specifically for people who are not yet in a relationship with God. Everything that we do is to help people along their spiritual journey. That's why we talk about things like knowing God and finding freedom and discovering purpose and making a difference. We are obsessed with seeing the people of Asheville changed by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We just, we're just obsessed with it. We strive to make this a place where you can invite your friends. We want to help you lead the people in your life into a relationship with Jesus. That's just what we want to help you with. And so I want to ask you a question. Who is the last person you invited to join you at church? Who is the last person that you've invited to join you at church? I would suspect that there are some of us drawing blanks. And that's okay. I don't want to bring guilt. I want to compel. So let me ask you this question. Who in my life do I need to ask to come to church with me? I bet you everybody has a name now. Who in my life do I need to invite to church with me? Because when you invite someone to church with you, what you're doing is showing them that you care. And you may disagree because you've invited people to church and now they don't want to go to lunch with you anymore. But here, let me explain. When you invite someone to church, what you're doing is showing them that you care. And they may not realize that you care until they drive on the campus, walk through these doors and go, oh my gosh, this is not what I was expecting it to be. I just ran into someone with a smile on their face and they were genuinely glad that I was here. I just listened to a message that showed me how I can get closer to God rather than reveal to me the distance between me and God. <laughs> this person cares about me. This person cares about my soul. You need to know this. People are asking three questions. Those three questions, blow through them. Uh, write these down. Can you help me? Do you care about me? And can I trust you? Can you help me? Do you care about me? And can I trust you? The people in your life are asking those three questions. And here's what I want to propose to you. Here's what I want to propose. If you think that you plus the gathering church can answer those questions well in your people's lives, then invite them to church with you. If you think you plus the gathering can answer those questions well, invite your friends. And here's something else I want to, I want to say. If you think that you plus the gathering church can't because there's a hole or gap in the gathering church, can I just propose to you to fill that hole? Can I just propose to you to get invested in this community? Because we believe the Bible says that the local church is the hope of the world. And so it's through you and us partnering that we reach this city, that we reach the people that you live, work, and play with. And so we're not perfect. We don't, we don't say that we are. But if you see a hole, if you see a gap, join the dream team. Join the dream team. Get involved. Get plugged in so that this can be a place that you want to invite your friends. Statistics are showing that 80% of people who don't go to church won't go because they haven't been invited. Let's change that statistic by simply extending an invite. Jesus shares a parable in Luke chapter 14. Listen to what it says in verse 23. It says, Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. We want this house to be full. 
We want it to be full, not because we want to be big, but because the need is so big. Let's fill this house. We're at the nine o'clock service right now, and uh, this is a smaller service than our 11 o'clock service. And those of you who know, who parked out there, know our parking lot is full right now. But here's what I want to say. You keep inviting, we'll figure out the parking lot. We'll create space, right? We'll just like, we'll just put cones out on, 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 on the street out there, and we'll just say, this, this is our space. We will figure out, we want good problems here at the Gathering Church. We want to fill this house. Let's partner together to show this city the love and the hope of Jesus. The third thing, and this is our last point, that you want to know how to do is simply, you want to know how to share Christ. How do I just, what are the things that Christ wants me to share? To many, this is a daunting task, but I think that's because we make it too hard. When you're sharing Christ with people, there are two things they need to know. The first thing is, is found in a little-known verse that doesn't get talked about. It's tucked right away in the gospel, and it says this. God so loved the world that he... You guys think you know what I'm going to say? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. People need to know that God loves them. Sometimes I think we assume that. People need to hear it that God loves, the, he loves them. And here's why I believe this is important. Every person, whether they, whether they believe in God or not, was created in the image of God. And every person, I believe, has a craving inside of their soul to meet their creator, to get acquainted with who it was that created them. And I'm convinced that the people in this city are so open to spirituality because they are on a spiritual journey to meet Jesus Christ. They may not know it yet, but we have the opportunity to change that. People need to know that God loves them. And the second thing is this, that he has a plan for their life. People need to know that, yes, God loves me, but he's also got a plan for me because we're all asking the question, who am I and why am I here? And if we can answer those, people can be pointed to Jesus. And John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God has a plan for your life. And it's in Christ that his plan is discovered. But how can the people in our lives live, uh, know that they have a plan for them unless we communicate it to them, unless we bring Jesus to them? People are searching for that which Jesus offers. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Uh, last week, I was hanging out after service, and I, I don't remember if it was after 9 or 11, but I, I ran into someone, a, a woman, who I had seen come to the gathering for six weeks or two months. And so I just, sometimes I just ask people, hey, what's your story? Like what? Every time I see her, she just looks excited to be here. And, and I said, hey, can I just ask you a couple questions? What, you know, why, why are you here? Like, what, 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 ex you just look so excited to be here. What, why do you look the way that you look? And she said, you know, I, my dad was a pastor and I, 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 I know that I'm on a spiritual journey and I, I've been looking for something 
for so many years, and I've never found it in God. And I, I love mysticism, and I, I love looking into spirituality. And for a long time, I've been on Sundays going to a great church searching spirituality. And we meet, and the people that I'm around are beautiful. They're beautiful people. And when, when I'm there, we're singing songs, and it, their, their songs are just about love. She said, but I started to realize that, like, I don't feel love. I, can, I talk about it, and I sing about it, and I, I recognize that people are lovely, but I don't feel the love that we keep singing about. And then I walked into the gathering church, and it was like the Holy Spirit hit me. And I saw that, hey, I'm surrounded by beautiful people, and we're singing songs of love. But the difference is, the distinct difference is, is that I feel love in this place. Not just like the idea of love. I know that the people here love me. I said, are you in a life group? She goes, I'm in a life group. I go on Sunday nights. And the people here love me. And I've never experienced this. And I can recognize and I can tell you that it's the Holy Spirit. And she's sitting there with tears in her eyes. And I'm just like, I didn't know I was getting into this, but I'm so glad I'm here right now. And I just love hearing people's story. And then I say, can I ask you another question? How'd you hear about the gathering? And she said, well, my kids go to Johnston Elementary, and I was telling their teacher that I was looking for a place where I could feel love. And he looked right back at me and said, well, I, I go to a place like that. And there he is, Jeremiah, inviting her to join her at church at the gathering because everything that she's looking for is found in the church that he goes to. Let me tell you what. We got a family now whose eternity looks different, whose life on this planet looks different, all because, not just the, listen, I'm not trying to give kudos to the gathering church, kudos to Jeremiah. Kudos because he saw a need and he said, you know what? I know something that can satiate that need. I know something that, that, that can pierce the heart of the very thing you're talking about. And I'm going to partner with my church to point you to Jesus. There are people in your life looking for Jesus. But we've got to listen for it. We've got to listen for it. Man, I want to hear more stories about people being invited to the gathering church and feeling that love, not just from us, but from God and the Holy Spirit. People are searching for that which Jesus offers. The thing that I'm asking is, are you going to give it to him? Are you going to give it to him? Are you going to recognize that saying yes to Jesus says, yes, I will be a fisher of men. I will be a fisher of my neighborhood, of my work. I will take you with me, Jesus. We'll partner with you in pointing them to Jesus. If you'll be bold enough to share with them your story and just extend the invite. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for putting a high calling on us. God, I thank you for, for dying on the cross for us, but then also giving us the challenge and the opportunity to point people to you with our lives. God, I pray that this morning you would reveal to us the people who need you in our lives, but then, God, you would give us the boldness to begin to communicate our faith to them, to share our stories of hope, not to defend you, but God, just to point to you and then trust you to do the work. 
God, I pray that we could see a revival in this city. Because when the church and people partner and we begin to see that we are all in this together, God, you can move. I pray today that we would begin to move. In the name of Jesus, amen.